Welcome back to the Evidence for Faith courses with Michael Lane, brought to you by our wonderful donors at evidenceforfaith.org. You can help us produce the next course by becoming a donor at evidenceforfaith.org give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org give. And while you're on the website, don't forget to check out some of our other courses and even live events and adventure trips we have going on, such as our marine biology trip down in the Florida Keys, or even our biblical archaeology experience down in Israel. You can find all these links and even more information down in the description. And if you've enjoyed today's course, don't forget to share it with a friend. Hello there. Welcome to Evidence for Faith. It's your host, Michael Lane, and we're continuing in our study here on David's Guide to Leadership. And this is a study of David taken from the book of 1 Samuel and looking at different leadership qualities that David uh, exhibited and that God has given us through his life that can teach us how to be good leaders uh, today with our employees or with our families or whatever, how to be a good leader. And David is a great example of this. And this series uh, is um, a new series. If you've um, hopefully listened to the, the last two lessons on this, this is the third lesson, the third installment on this uh, in this podcast series. And today's lesson I'm entitling is Intimidated Yet Successful. And this is based on a very familiar passage in its first Samuel chapter 17. And if many of you might recognize that right away. Oh, this is the story of David and Goliath. Well, yeah, this is the beginning aspects of that famous encounter. Um, and that's why, uh, uh, as we see what's going on here, some of the things taking place, not the battle itself, but what took place just before the battle with David's life, we're going to see how he becomes intimidated, yet he is so successful in this, and we can learn a lot from that. So let's open first with a word of prayer, we'll be, then we'll begin. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you so much for this day you've given us, and we just ask, Lord, that you open up our eyes and our hearts and our minds to what you would have us to learn today. May your Holy Spirit teach us, and may we glean from this something that will deepen our relationship with with you and help us, Lord, to be better leaders and to understand Scripture even even more. So we ask for your blessing as we go through this. Keep us safe this day and healthy. In Jesus' name, amen. The story I want to tell you is um, a very interesting story that actually I came across, oh, many years ago in a book called Seeds of Greatness. And in this book, it's a fascinating book, um, and there's a story in here about a person named Wilma. And I want to tell you about <clears throat> this, this lady named Wilma. This is a true story. Wilma was born prematurely. Now, this produced complications that resulted in her contracting double pneumonia twice and scarlet fever. But worse was a bout of polio which left her with a crooked leg and a foot twisted inward. Metal braces, um, stares from neighborhood kids, and six years of bus rides to Nashville for treatments could have driven this young girl uh, into a self-made shell, but she refused. <clears throat> Wilma kept dreaming, and she was determined not 
to allow her disability to get in the way of her dreams. Uh, maybe her determination was generated by the faith of her Christian mother, who often said to her, Honey, the most important thing in life is for you to believe it and to keep on trying. By age 11, Wilma decided to believe it. And through sheer determination and an indomitable spirit to persevere, regardless, she forced herself to learn to walk without those leg braces. At age 12, she made a wonderful discovery. <laughs> she found out girls can run and jump and play ball just like boys can. Her older sister, Yvonne, was quite good at basketball. So Wilma decided to challenge her on the court. She began to improve. The two of them ultimately went on and went out for the same school team. Yvonne made the final 12, but Wilma didn't. <clears throat> However, because of her father, her father wouldn't allow the, um, Yvonne to travel with the team without her sister as a chaperone. Wilma found herself often in the presence of the coach. One day, she built up enough nerve to confront the coach, the man with her magnificent obsession, her lifetime dream. She blurted out, If you will give me 10 minutes of your life every day, only 10 minutes, I'll give you a world-class athlete. Well, he took her up on her offer. The result is history. Young Wilma finally won a starting position on the basketball squad. And when that season ended, she decided to try out for the track team. What a decision. In her first race, she beat her girlfriend. Then she beat all the girls in her high school. Then, in every high school in the state of Tennessee, Wilma was only 14, but was already a champion. Shortly thereafter, although still in high school, she was invited to join the Tiger Bells track team at Tennessee State University. She began a serious training program after school and on weekends. As she improved, she continued winning short dashes and the 440 relay. Two years later, she was invited to try out for the Olympics. She qualified and ran in the 1956 Games in Melbourne, Australia. She won a bronze medal as her team placed third in the 440-meter relay. It was a bittersweet victory. She'd won, but decided that next time she would, as she said, go for the gold. Wilma realized that the victory would require an enormous amount of commitment, sacrifice, and discipline. To give her the winner's edge as a world-class athlete, she began to do a do-it-yourself program, similar to the one that she had employed to get herself out of those leg braces when she was a child. Not only did she run at 6 and 10 every morning and 3 in the afternoon, she would often sneak down out of the uh, dormitory fire escape from 8 to 10 o'clock and would run track uh, before bedtime. Week after week, month in, month out, Wilma maintained the same grueling schedule for over 1,200 days. Now she was ready for Rome. When the sleek, trim, young black lady 
only 20 years old, walked out onto the field, she was ready. She'd paid the price. Even those 80,000 fans could sense the spirit of victory. It was electrifying. And she began her warm-up sprints. Uh, a chant began to emerge from the stands. Vilma, Vilma, Vilma. There they kept, uh, they, they were so confident that she was going to win. And win, <laughs> she did. She breezed to an easy victory in the 100-meter dash. Then she won the 200-meter dash. And finally, she anchored the U.S. women's team to another first-place finish in the 400-meter relay. Three gold medals. Do you know she was the first woman in history to ever win three gold medals in track and field? I should add that each of the three races was won in world record time. As I said, that's from a book called The Seeds of Greatness. It's, it's a phenomenal uh, book of, of people who have succeeded, even facing intimidation and problems. Well, we know of a great story like that right out of our Bible in 1 Samuel chapter 17. A giant walked out determined to destroy the followers of God. He defiled not only God, but also God's chosen people. Oh, he was powerful, undefeated in battle. Matter of fact, it tells us that he wore over 200 pounds of armor. He had the latest weapons technology provided, and he was skilled highly in their use. Nothing could stand in his way. How many times have we heard the famous story of Goliath of Gath, the great giant of the Philistines. We know all, we often know this story. People, even young children know the story. It's taught in Sunday school and they've made movies on it and books about it. It's used as illustrations frequently. But you know, this is much more than just a cute story. It holds a message for leaders and how to handle tribulations when they pop up. As I stated at the beginning, this is more talking about David um, before he had his actual battle with Goliath. And let's just see what happens. You see, the story opens. We find David is back at home. Yes, back at home. If you listen to our last story, he loved to hang out with the sheep. And he's back at home in Bethlehem with the sheep as this whole battle unfolds. He's summoned by his father, Jesse, to take a care package, basically, to his brothers who are serving on the front line of the battle. When he gets there, he sees and he hears about this Goliath. So, this giant has intimidated others, but this giant does not intimidate David. No. He starts asking questions of why this fellow is allowed to degrade and insult the Lord, the God of Israel. It's now that David faces his first problem, and it comes in the form of his older brother. Actually, his oldest brother. Let's read together in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 28 through 30. Catch what's going on here. <clears throat> now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another 
and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. Wow, did you catch this part of the story? Eliab, by the way, Eliab, his oldest brother, that his name, Eliab, means God is my father. This fellow, the oldest boy in the family, shows some sibling rivalry that must have been stored up from, from in the past. I can't help but think, since this is the, the very next chapter after David gets anointed, in Eliab's presence to be the new king, um, that that has something to do with the sibling rivalry, that maybe he's just so angry still uh, about David's being anointed by Samuel to be the king. After all, Eliab, he's the oldest. He's the one with the birthright. He's the one that's supposed to get all the honors of the family. Everything's supposed to go to him. But no, it goes to his baby brother. But God knew Eliab's heart, and so he wasn't chosen. But notice, did you notice how David responds to Eliab? Let me read it again. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him. Hmm. Did you catch this? David diffused the situation. How did he do it? By leaving instead of getting into an argument. He didn't get into an argument with his brother. No. Notice, too, that David didn't pull rank on him by saying, Hey, bro, don't yell at me. I'm going to be the new king around here, so you better watch your step. He doesn't do any of that. No. Nothing like that comes out of David's mouth. It just doesn't do that. He left, turned around, and left. Where's he go next? Next, the king hears about this. Hears about his little musician um, and the questions he's asking, and so he calls David over like, hey, um, come over here, I need to talk to you. Um, can't you just hear King Saul telling David, hey, kid, you're just a boy. Uh, th this is a giant. This guy is the world champ. You, you can't possibly think you can go head-to-head -head with this guy on the battlefield. You just can't do this. But I love David's response. Um, he, he says, basically, I, I, I like this. He, basically, he's saying, what giant? I don't see any giant. I don't see any champion out there. All I see is some puny guy insulting my God. My God is the giant, not this undersized jerk. Leave, leave him to God and me, King Saul. We'll take care of this. We'll silence this fool. <laughs> I mean, this guy has really got confidence. <laughs> Do you notice also what David is fighting at this point? It's intimidation. It's intimidation. And leaders, people, friends, this is what often faces us when we try to lead. People will try to bully us or put pressure on us Pressure us into doing something, um, into go into areas that we don't have to go to. They try to push us into something we don't have to do. We need to do what David did, and that is to put our focus on God. God is there to help us to be leaders, the leaders we ought to be. And when people try to intimidate us, we are to ignore and leave them if they won't listen to reason. Sometimes I have been put in a situation where someone's trying literally to pick a fight with me, 
um, on an, uh, a decision I have made or some action that I have done, and I've tried at first to reason with them, which we just saw David do, and eventually I just turn and leave, leave them. I'm not going to get involved in that. A second thing that materializes in the story of how is how the king, how King Saul tries to help David succeed. Now, this is really interesting. Did you catch, um, do you realize what King Saul does? He tries to put his armor on David, as the story continues here. Getting David prepped, he tries to intercede. And um, in trying to get David to wear his, his own personal armor, he says basically to David, you can't go on the battlefield wearing no armor. No, you can't do that. Uh, here, David, I'll tell you what, you put my armor on and handle, uh, take my sword and go out there and I'll tell you, do it my way. Sometimes bosses will put leaders in situations uh, to accomplish deeds the way that they want, the way that they would want you to do it, the way that they want you to follow their example. We have to be careful of this. What is worse is that sometimes leaders will try to act like somebody else then. How many people I have known over the years that have been put into a leadership position, yet their supervisor has said, um, yes, I want you to do this. This is your goal, and I want you to do it by the way I do it. Well, that's not the way it should be done. They think that they are um, the only people who have the right answer to something. So leaders will sometimes try to get their followers and stuff, and, um, or uh, bosses will try and get their leaders to act um, like someone else. They think that they are incapable, that this person, this leader that they've chosen is incapable of success, and they try to think, you know, well, this is the way I would do it, so you need to do it the same way. In other words, they're, trying, they're saying, basically, uh, um, you got to fill my shoes, and so what I want you to do is mimic what I would do, not what you would no, what you would do. So they mimic. Some leaders mimic other people. They try to fill their shoes by mimicking the way that they would do it or the way they think they would do it. And deep down, there's a reason for that. If you think about it, the leader who is mimicking a boss, mimicking their, their superior, is actually thinking they can't do it on their own. There's the mistake. And bosses will sometimes make this mistake. They expect the person to mimic them, and the leader who's chosen to do the job tries to do it by imitating and mimicking their boss. That usually does not work out very well. Listen, I don't know what battleground you're walking on right now, but I do know this. Give the battle to the Lord. That's what David did. Followed the same God David was following. David didn't try to do things Saul's way. He didn't try to imitate the king. He didn't try to mimic him. No. He chose to do it his way with God. That's the important thing. God was first and foremost, and he was basically saying, okay, God, you and I together, let's go out and do this. So he trusted in the spirit of God to tell him what to do, not to mimic his boss. The battle is the Lord's. In whatever situation you're in, the battle is the Lord's. 
And that's what David was saying. It wasn't having some super technology. It wasn't having special military training by, by which David went out and will eventually defeat this giant. He does this with faith in God. So remember, leaders, remember to trust God as you lead. He will equip you. He will give you what you need to do it. He might send you to certain classes or seminars. He might have you read certain things. But the thing is, do not take your mind off of his focus. Don't think for a moment you can pick up a leadership book written by some famous person who's made a career on this and that you can sit and mimic him as you try and lead. No, don't do it that way. So many people fail trying that. What you want to do is trust in God. If you've been put in this situation, God has put you there knowingly. He didn't have you get promoted by accident. He's planned it. And if he wants you in this position, he will equip you. The Holy Spirit gives gifts of leadership. Did you notice in the story that David did try on Saul's armor? He did do it. But it wasn't going to work for him. He realized, I can't mimic the king. For one, <laughs> he's an extra large and I'm a small size. Uh, instead, he strips off the protective covering and he goes out to meet his problem wearing just his faith. Leaders, don't try to mimic someone else as you lead. Study God's word, walk closely with him. And you want a good manual to study leadership uh, with? The Bible is a manual on leadership. That's what I've been saying throughout this whole series so far. And God will show you how to leave if you study its lessons. Here is the best book you're ever going to come across on leadership. Study it carefully. Don't let, also, don't let problems with people, their status, or their situations get you depressed. Focus on God. That's a hard one for us humans to do that we will many times get looking at the battle coming up in front of us and before us that we're, gonna, we're being put into, and we just start, like, panicking and getting depressed and stuff. No, 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 no. Do what David did. What David's showing us here, you go to God. So search his word for leadership skills. Let his spirit pilot you as you lead your people, as you lead your followers. And don't forget... Giants are going to come your way. All leaders face them. That's part of being a leader. You're going to face giants. There was a book I came across many years ago, written by a man named uh, Paul Powell, P-O-W-E-L. It's a book called Basic Bible Sermons on Handling Conflict. And in this, Paul Powell writes about the leadership characteristics of one of my favorite Bible characters, and there's a part here he talks about the characteristics of Moses. And he noted nine qualities that Moses has and all great leaders possess. I want to go over those, um, taking it from this book, and I want to just uh, put this out for you because I think this is really helpful, and it, it helped me a lot when I came across this. This, is, this was great, and I think this is what helped Moses become one of my favorite Bible characters. Nine things. Number one, Moses had a vision. He had a clear sense of his mission. He knew what he was, uh, where he was at, where he was going, what he was supposed to do. He knew it. So he had a clear vision. Number two, he had courage. <laughs> he had the faith to try, 
to risk. He was not afraid to try. When situations came and God told him what to do, he said, God, that doesn't make sense. Strike the water and it's going to part. Strike a rock, it's going it's to pour out water. These things don't make sense. But he, in front of the people, had the faith to try. Number three, he had the determination to stick with his decision. When hardships and obstacles came, he didn't waver. He was persistent. He knew he was right. By what God was telling him, he's going to do it God's way. He persisted. Number four, and this is one of the most interesting qualities I find about Moses. He had a humble spirit. He was open to the advice of others and constantly sought the counsel of God. Moses is the embodiment of humbleness. Leaders will often get into situations where they don't immediately know the answer. Search for the answer like Moses did. He went to God. He also sought the advice, the counsel of others. Get, get counsel. I've been noted many times when people ask me something, and when I, um, I, I sort of pause before making a decision, like, and people come back, you know, what, why are you waiting so long to make this? You know, um, it seems obvious. I said, I, I want the advice of others. I seek advice. I seek counsel, and I want to go to the Word of God, and I want to pray about it. Number five, he didn't try to do everything himself. I like this, too. Many leaders really struggle with this, particularly when they first get put into a role. Um, they feel like they've got to have the answer for everything. No, learn how to delegate. That's what Moses did. He learned how to delegate and readily shared his responsibility with others. So many leaders fail because they do not delegate. They want to be um, a micromanager. They've got to make all the decisions. They feel so important and so full of pride that they have to be the ones making all the decisions. That's an insult. That's a sin, actually, against God, because that's pride, and pride is a, a serious sin. No, delegate. God will put other people around who are wise, who have special gifts. He puts gifts in them, um, particularly in a church or ministry setting. God equips us with spiritual gifts. You find people with these gifts, you put them into that. And not just in the church setting, just in life in general. You find people who have these certain gifts and you delegate. As a leader, you delegate. So important. Number six, he had a servant's heart. In fact, nowhere in Scripture does the Lord ever refer to Moses as Moses, my leader. No, no. It's always referred to as Moses, my servant. Mm -hmm. Great leaders serve those under them. I'm going to repeat that because a lot of times we get the idea that is not the way it is, that we think that great leaders are dictators. No, great leaders serve those under them. Number seven, Moses always had the best interests of his people at heart. At least five times when the judgment came on Israel because of their sin and God was going to blot them out, Moses pleaded with God on their behalf. He even prays, God, blot out my name from your book so that the people can be forgiven. Wow. You want to talk about somebody who's self-sacrificing? That's Moses. And you know, self-sacrificing is a trait of a great leader. Number eight. Moses was a man of impeccable integrity. Wow, this is a trait that's really missing today in a lot of leaders that we have. Um, yeah, integrity. That's 
a mark of a leader. And number nine, the last, Moses lived in constant conflict. You read through uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you read through these, you see Moses was constantly in conflict. Giants were constantly coming up. Even friends of his turned against him. Um, not just the enemies, the Amalekites and others, he had all sorts of things, even natural boundaries, the, the, the Red Sea, um, not having food in the desert, not having water in the desert. This guy constantly was um, facing conflicts. Well, leaders, that's what we do. Leaders face conflict. And Moses lived in in constant conflict with bitter and cutting criticism. Leaders, you're going to be criticized. That's the way it is, because you're not going to please everybody. You're going to have to deal with criticism. And like Moses, basically, he sort of ignored it, or he turned it totally over to God. God, these people are saying this, but I want you to forgive them. How you stand up in the face of adversity is a signpost of the kind of leader you are. When you have this diversity, when you have these conflicts, when you're hit with bitter criticisms and stuff, how do you stand up? Because others watch you, they see this. So don't give in when events get difficult. I love being out on the ocean. Do you know a, a sailboat? I love to go on a sailboat. A sailboat doesn't move unless there is a wind to push it. It just sits. A wind is necessary. Do you realize that a wind is a pressure? It's a force? It's needed to get the boat to move. Wilma Randolph, the lady I told you about in the story, went from being a four and a half pound sickly child to becoming a three-time gold medal winning champion of the Olympics. She was the 20th of 22 children, yet became the first place title holder in sports. I encourage you to Google her story or check her, her uh, workout. There's been many things written about her over the years. If you follow her story, you're gonna discover that she later on, she becomes a teacher. Teachers are leaders. She also becomes a world-class coach. I heard many years ago that many corporations love to hire successful teachers. Uh, and put them in charge of, of uh, organizations or put them in charge of groups of people, makes them managers or supervisors or foremans. They like to take teachers and put them in leadership roles. And I one time asked a, a corporation uh, leader who was doing this, that he was offering um, positions to teachers. And I said, I'm, I'm curious, why are you doing this? Why are you constantly looking for teachers? He says, good teachers I have found are natural born leaders. And they, if they can handle classrooms of kids, they can handle 10 or 15 people in an apartment at you know, one of our stores. Mm -hmm. Well, Rudolph, uh, uh, Wilma Rudolph, she became a, a, uh, a teacher also, and a, like I say, a coach. And you know, if anyone, she knew how to overcome intimidation. She was a great example of a leader. Now, I don't know where. I'm going to leave you with a little poem that I came across many years ago, a uh, time I was struggling with something, and I came across this. I've tried to find out who wrote it, and I can't find out um, who wrote this. I found this in a little 
um, book. I copied it down, and I do not know. For the, uh, honestly, I do not know, though I've tried to find where this came from. I don't know. It's a little poem, a simple little poem called Adversity. So let me just close with reading this little poem here. It helped me. Maybe you'll find some help in this too. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, and you want to smile but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is strange with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns. And many a failure turns about when we might have won had we stuck it out. Don't give up. Though the pace seems slow, you may succeed with another blow. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And you can never tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight. When your hardest hit, it's when things seem worst that you must not quit. As I say, it's anonymous as far as I know, but it was something that helped me out years ago. I hope it helps you too. But most of all, turn to the Word of God. There's so much in there on leadership and to give you guidance. Maybe get a good concordance, look up some words and see or get a topical Bible um, look up leadership, or if you're going through adversity or something, check it out. Check out that word. See where it appears in the Bible. See what God is saying about it. Lord, I pray that you just help us all as we go through difficult times. And as leaders, we are going to face difficult times. David did. You caused him to succeed with nothing but his faith, a little sling, and a little stone. And what you did with that, even though his brother made fun of him, gave him all sorts of trouble, even King Saul trying to help him made the situation worse. But Lord, he knew to trust in you, and I pray that you help us to do the same. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your spirit teaches us. And Lord, may you get the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me today as we've gone through another lesson here with this on leadership. And um, I trust you and hope you will uh, listen, continue to listen on this series as, as we go on. And uh, we'd love to hear from you at evidenceforfaith.org. And remember, it's evidence. It's the number four faith.org. We'd love to hear from you. Check out our other lessons on there. And until we meet again, take care and may God bless. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to help us produce the next course, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org give. And don't forget to use some of the other links in our description. You can find out more about Evidence for Faith and what we do as a ministry and even sign up to some of our programs. And if you've enjoyed today's course, don't forget to share it with a friend so they can benefit from it too. And with that, we hope to see you on the next course.